Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com/acast code acast. How are we doing, team? How are you doing, team? This is another episode. Scooby Dooby Dee, a barabooroo. Episode thirty-seven of the Battlefield Show. Welcome back for another week. How the fuck are you? Safe and well, I hope. Um, as always, thank you to everybody who has listened. Uh, subscribe. Thank you all to the Patreons. Um, legends. You know, Knights Templar. If they fuckers were still around, it would be uh, everybody who is on uh, the Patreoni. Um, so thank you to those of you who have signed up um, and who continue to support the show. If you'd like to support the show further, if you enjoy the ramblings then please do become a Patreon. It is the best way to support the show, and it's the only way to access all of the content. Every single Wednesday, a podcast comes out to you free of charge, free on your podcast player, and once a week, usually on a Friday, uh, Patreons get an extra episode for them. Um, So if you sign up now for as little as $5, you will be able to access all all of the podcasts, that's eight a month, including comedy albums, the comedy special, and other little bits and pieces that I've done and will be doing in the future, all for free on the Patreon. So become a Patreon today. Sign up now. Patreon.com forward slash Big Scott Gibson. That's P A T R E O N. 
youtube.com forward slash Big Scott Gibson. Well, we are back. Um, another another week, man. Another week, and this week is uh, is uh, I was going to say it's special, but it's it's not really. It's my it's my birthday week. It's my birthday week. As you listen to this, uh, in a in a short twenty four hours or less on Thursday, basically, I will be thirty six years young, and um, you know, I'm an old man. I'm an old bastard. 36 years old. Um I can't I can't wait to get out of my thirties, man. I think I'll I think I'll feel happier and a more rounded person, uh, if that is the right language to use, when I'm in my forties. I think I think being in your thirties is shit. If I'm being honest with you. Now if there's people out there who are in their forties going, big man, you're wrong. Forties is a nightmare, then my god. But I thirty six, uh, halfway through, are we? Maybe, maybe a bit more than halfway through. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If you had to pick a number to go out at, like a kind of midsummer, you know, climb to the top of a fucking block of flats and then ass over tit over the top. I'd say eighty. I think if you get to eighty, that's good innings. And I know, obviously, the world's a bit different now because every fucker's living at 140, right? But fuck that carry-on, man. Fuck that for a carry-on. I mean, if you're still able-bodied, you know, in your 90s, you know, if you're still... If you can still live a life, then fair play to you. But to be, to be that old, like, fucking pushed about like a potato, fuck that for a carry-on. So I'd say 80. I think if I can get it to 80, that's a solid innings, man. That's a, that's a life. There's enough stories there, you know. You can check out at 80. Um, but as always, as I say every episode, I hope you are safe. I hope you're well. Um, we, we seem to be now in almost a, a further state of purgatory where every day we feel as if we're edging closer towards some kind of return to normality. And all that happens is we fall further and further down the rabbit hole of absolute bobaggery. And that's where we find ourselves. I, I hope if you are listening to this out and about, you're wearing a mask. For the love of God, wear a mask! Can you imagine? Mandatory. Now, I know some of you are maybe thinking, but I was just in this shop on the 9th of July, and I didn't have a mask on, and nobody else had a mask on, and I haven't woke up with COVID, and everybody's fine, but it's mandatory. So just wear your fucking masks. If you're like me, if you're a glasses wearer, a wearer of spectacles, corrective eye lenses, you may uh, be experiencing the world through a different kind of haze at the moment, where you are terrified to breathe, in case your windy steam up, and you walk out in front of a bus. That's the that's the current level of fear that I'm living in at the moment. I, I'm considering having to try and watch uh, YouTube videos on how deep sea divers fucking regulate their breathing. It seems as if if, if I breathe uh, through my nose, taking any air away from the eyeball area, I have less uh, steamy windies than if I breathe through my mouth, 
Now, when I, if I breathe through my nose, I also have to exhale with quite some force in order to dispel any any air that uh, that may escape upwards through the mask. Which I had to fucking get the missus to buy me online for a pretty penny, you know, to cover my massive loaf. So if there's any people out there, men or women, or or non or non-binary. With massive heads and who wear glasses. I understand your pain. I was walking through Scotland the other day. I thought a fucking smoke grenade had gone off. I turned the corner. I obviously exhaled as just breathing normally. And then both lenses went up in a fucking, in a fog. Had to feel my way through the confectionery aisle in order to get to the bloody checkouts. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if I need to get one of these masks that has some kind of like a nose bridge. Is that what it's called? Some kind of reinforced steel, <laughs> so that my fucking my glasses don't steam up every two bloody minutes. I don't know, man. I'm not. I'm not going to go down the road. Of, you know, it's all conspiracy theories and. I'm just. I'm. I'm struggling now. I'm struggling. I'm I'm past the point of I'm past the point of caring, if I'm being honest with you. Right. And I I, I never I don't do the show, I don't do the podcast to offend or upset anybody. This is uh this is, these are my thoughts, these are rants. Some of you may agree, some of you may disagree. You know? Wouldn't it be nice to live in a world where if we disagreed, we could talk about these things again. But instead if somebody disagrees with you, you're simply shut down and you're called a bastard. I could be wrong. The likelihood is I, I am wrong. None of my opinions are formed uh, through research or education. No. I'm a modern person living in a modern world. I form detailed, complex opinions on what I see. <laughs> There's no research. You know? Maybe a mask does stop the spread of the virus. And I'm, and I'm, no, I'm no saying and I'm no suggesting for a moment... We don't wear a mask, but what I'm saying is life right now has to be about give and take, okay? If we are wearing masks mandatory in shops or buses or whatever the fuck we are, give us something back, man, you know? Let's get back to work, eh? Let, let, let's, let clubs reopen, let bars reopen, give us something, man, give us something. I feel as if also there is a new uh, hierarchy developing on the high street. Um, there, there seems to be three type of mask wearers, right? Someone who reluctantly wears a mask, you will know that they're either around their chin or just covering their mouth. They're, they're, they've not made the decision to fully commit to the mask and wear the mask as it is intended by, for example, covering your nose. So they've just gone for the old, the old chin mask. Maybe they're a slabber. Maybe they've got uh, a mild learning disability. You know, possibly from the school of Jamie Oliver. I don't know. If they were to be stopped by the police and the police says, mate, you know when your mask probably go, listen, you don't understand. I've got 10% of the Jamies and I've got a very drooly chin. I'm catching the drool 
on my chin. Maybe that's their excuse. It's like people who you see in holiday in, in other European countries, you know, who will drive a motorbike or a scooter and the helmet will be around the handlebars or, or, or over their arm, right? Instead of just putting the helmet on their head. Because they don't want to wear a helmet, you know, they want to seem cool. And they want to be free, they want to have the breeze in their air. The breeze in their air? The breeze in their hair, right? Feel the wind in their face. They want that. A beautiful Spanish vista cannot be enjoyed through the visor of a helmet. Of course it can't. But the law says that whilst riding, operating a moving vehicle such as motorbike or scooter, a helmet must be present. <laughs> But it doesn't say the helmet has to be worn, does it? No, it doesn't. It just has to be present. So as long as Manuel Jimenez has got the helmet around his arm or strapped to the back of his bike, perfectly legal. Young Franco walking about Sainsbury's, you know, doing the high street, try to get a bus up to Buchanan Galleries. We saliva guard around his chin. Eh? Masks are mandatory. He's got his mask. In his defence, he's got his mask. He's just no using it in the way it's designed to protect you. The other mask wearer, number two, um, is the one who will will buy a mask. They're not going to go for the paper disposable ones. They're above that, you know. They're no, they don't consider themselves scum. Okay? They've done well through lockdown. Yes, they've been furloughed, but them and their wife has also been furloughed. Full wage, in the house. He's a director of a company. He's effectively been on holiday. You know? House is bought and paid for. They've done the occasional trip to the summer home up north just to check it. Unofficially, they've never stayed there, but they've spent half the time during lockdown in the family's country retreat. You know, something like Avi Moore and Verschnecki. Sky. But he doesn't want to be seen in the supermarket wearing a disposable paper mask. No, 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 no. Get online, hen. Go to John Lewis. Find me somewhere a label. Find me something that I can wear. And then the third mask user, third mask wearer, are the, the people who make the masks at home. People who make the masks at home. Now, they split into two groups. There are people who make the masks at home because they're crafty, they're handy, and maybe they're, they're struggling, you know. They're, they're like most of us during this lockdown period and this global pandemic. They are struggling financially. So they take an old T-shirt, a bra, for example, and they make a face mask out of that. And then the other side of the other uh, homemade face mask users are the ones who will go and find, uh, for example, a lovely print. You know, an old cushion, a pillowcase. Maybe they'll even order some uh, material online. And then painstakingly make this beautifully detailed face mask that they will, no doubt... Uh, put through an extensive photo shoot so it can appear uh, for the next couple of months on their Instagram page uh, along with taglines like, you know, save the NHS 
uh, support small businesses, even though they're not a business. And then they will almost thrust their face upon you so that you are fully aware that they have not only made this mask at home, but they, in their mind, feel that they are a better person than you for doing so. Now, I wear my mask. If I go to the other day, I was about to go into the shop to deliver a hand over a package to be returned. And I had to come all the way home again and get my fucking mask. But I got my mask, right? And I'm wearing it. I'm just, I'm concerned where it's going to go. Because I think we're at the point now where I honestly thought things were starting to kind of slow down a bit. Things were starting to feel normal again. And now masks have become mandatory. And again, I'm not, I'm not arguing with it. I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm just, I'm concerned as to where we go for here. Because if the feeling is that case numbers are falling, death rates falling, the R number, whatever the fuck the R number is, has been looking good for weeks, and we feel that we're getting further and further back to some kind of normality where people go back to their jobs again, people go back to pubs, restaurants, living a fucking life again, and now we're getting things like mandatory mass and listen to me what i'm saying i am not disagreeing with it i'm just concerned the road we're going down because what else do we add on what else is added to the mandatory list next are we going to get to a point where for example off the top of my head let's say everything goes back to normal first of august everybody's back to work okay everybody's Back in a pub, back in nightclubs, back in comedy clubs, back in theatres, back in cinemas. It's all open. It's all back to normal. Do we have mandatory time frames? For example, you're only allowed to be in your office for a maximum 90 minutes at a time. So every 90 minutes, everybody's got to exit the office to get some fresh air. I don't know. Does a, does a, a working environment with a certain number of people, say, for example, you've got more than 15 people in a in an office space, does it have to be, you know, fumigated, professionally cleaned every 24 hours? What else is going to become mandatory? Nightclubs, bars, are they going to have a drink level, a maximum amount that you're allowed to be served because they feel as if after a certain point, if you're drunk, you know, or you're you're intoxicated, you are unable to be aware of your surroundings or you're unable to social distance. I don't know. Is social distance going to remain a thing forever? I don't know. I don't know. And please, listen to what I'm saying. I, 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 I am not disagreeing with anything that keeps people safe. I'm just wondering... What is next? I've heard adverts on the radio, right? I've heard adverts on the radio for the last week and a half now. And uh, the slogan is, don't feed the beast, right? You you may have heard it. I don't know if they've been on a television. And it's adverts encouraging people. In fact, encouraging is, no, it is telling people, do not share misleading information about COVID-19 online. On social media, on the internet, through friends, through family, on chat groups, whatever. Do not feed the beast. 
and the beast being, as they try and portray it in these adverts, that we are scaremongering, if you like, by misinforming people as to what's happening, what's going on, or what's going on in the past. Conspiracy theories, ideas, what's coming up, what's gone past, what people have not said. And this is these are this is an official government funded from the government advert telling people do not share misinformation. Now it'll be things like nuggets are going, 5G's coming and it's the fucking Chinese and they've all put a chip in our bums and then as soon as 5G goes on, you're going to shite out your kidneys and the Chinese are going to come over and fucking live inside your dead body, man. It's 5G. Obviously, we all know people who share mad shit online right but my argument would be the group of people who has misinformed the public the most who has created a hysteria at some parts who has fed into that fear-mongering machine is the government it's I, i find it ironic i find it laughable that the government has funded, paid for, put out adverts telling people not to misinform. I don't think... Listen, very rarely I will get political, or very rarely I'll take political stance, and and, and I, sometimes I am of the opinion that no one's better than anyone, really, when it comes down to it. Running a, a country in, in today's world on, on a global scale must be almost impossible dealing with a pandemic a global pandemic and let's not forget no government in history has dealt with this in modern time people go the fucking bubonic plague Uh, what about what about the bubonic plague fuck up nobody's dealt with us nobody knows how to deal with it but the misinformation the lack of information from day one from both Scottish and English government has been shocking. All all of these conspiracy theories that were out since day one have never, not one of them has ever been shut down by the government. People have dispelled conspiracy theories with regards to Wuhan and the wet market, the 5G stuff. We know it's nonsense, right? We know it's fucking nonsense. But neither government has ever shut it down. Neither government has ever come out and said, this is nonsense, this is bullshit. People are too afraid to step on each other's international toes. You know, and again, I can say it because this is my fucking podcast. Now I can say whatever I want. A lot of the racism, and it is racism, racism towards Chinese, towards Chinese people, towards Asian people as a whole, is created, fed and encouraged through our media. When all the stuff first came out with COVID and Wuhan and the wet market, every one of us, myself included, they fuck, they're eating bats, man. They'll, they'll fucking eat anything, they cunts, man. Fucking eating bats out the back of a fucking uh, a wet market. Where, where even is a wet market? Where is that? Not, none of it, none of it dispelled, none of it shut down. But wear your mask. Whatever you do, wear your mask. Because if the fucking droplets get you, 
you're fucked, man. <laughs> They're gonna find like cave paintings, you know, that kind of style, like in council houses, like in, in 50 years, 100 years. Once, you know, once this does reach a point next year, like when the fucking the pig virus comes in, right? And it's even worse because maybe this is just a wee tester. Maybe this is the North Koreans going, hey, let's fucking test the water. Let's see how we got on first run of a global pandemic, right? They've killed a million, uh, a million plus across the world. No bad for our first run. We'll tinker over Christmas. Next year, bang, pig virus, you're all fucked, right? Couple of billion dead. World War Three. launch a few nukes. And then people just perish, die away, you know, and then 100 years, 150 years when civilization restarts again. People come in and they, they find strange markings on walls. And they go, my God, these are people who live through the the super virus. Just written in blood. Watch out for the droplets. <laughs> Franco McGovern died of the droplets. <laughs> loads of skeletons. It's loads of skeletons line. But every one of them's got a mask on. Every one of them's got a fucking mask on. If it hadn't uh, been apparent by now, I feel as if this episode's going to be quite a ranty one. I'm just looking at my, my notes, possible things to talk about. As always, we may go off in mad tangents, like we did uh, there about the masks. That was going to be a brief uh, two-minute mention. But my giant low face mask, and then we're 20 minutes in. Um, staying on the subject of how fucking mental life is at the moment, we I had my first pint in a, would you call it, beer garden. It was an outdoor area, um, populated by some very unsavoury people, but to be fair, even what, what has amazed me the most about this current situation that most of us find ourselves in, and what I mean by that is the, I would say the majority of people are, are struggling through um, the last couple of months financially. The, the worrying thing just now is that I, I I really, I mean, I don't want to be all doom and gloom, right? But I, part of me does feel as if we're not even through the worst of it yet. Everything that's been dished out, government bailouts, handouts, money, listen, if you think for a minute that the Tories give you a pound and they don't want a pound fifty back, we're going to be paying this for a long time. Now, hopefully, hopefully, normal people, working class people, if the working class still exists, people get very serious about economics in this country and we start to go after big business, super rich, the world, because there is now... The gap between the 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 super rich has only expanded in the last couple of months, and that that's my worry is that over the next year, five years, ten years, God, you know that we we are repaying for the hard time that we find ourselves in at the moment. Definitely, if we're all fucking living in mansions and our swimming pools, you know, going through COVID. God, ah, fuck, I'll repay. Fucking put in a couple of pence on. That's fine, man. I'll pay some air tax. No worries. 
I, I know I know of two people who I was gonna say worst off of me, but I, I never even had the fucking savings in the first place. I know I know a friend who had saved up a good chunk of money. Uh let's say enough for a deposit on a house. Um and that was the that was the plan, you know. And uh, I don't want to say I'm not going to say who it is, I don't want to say the amount, but it was certainly up north of 15 grand. And uh, lost lost a job, um, and then has had to go into the savings. And through other members of the family being in a tight situation, uh, has had to help out where he can. And uh, long story short, the savings are, are decimated to the point where... Um, the the chance of a deposit for uh, a house after this is is gone. Now, I can't even begin. Well, I can, I can. I mean, I've been in positions previously like that, but the impact that that's going to have on people's mental health is is going to be terrifying. People will have knocked their pan in for years to get into a position where they're not even they're not even. They're not even comfortable. They're just they're just is safe the right word. They they feel as if there's a there's there's not as much pressure on them. You know? Knocked her pan and worked hard, scrimped and scraped to to pull together a good chunk of money. Now you may be listening to this and go fifteen grand's fuck all. And hey, I wish I was in your shoes. That's a fucking large chunk of money, right? That's a large chunk of money. No life changing. You're not gonna retire on that. But just think to yourself, before lockdown, before the world went fucking tits up, how long would it take you to bank 15 grand? Good number of years for most of us. And then you find yourself in a situation that is not your doing, and it wipes that out, and you've got to start again. Now you're starting again... Not because you decided to to blow it. Not because you went to Vegas and fucking partied away 15 grand. Because a a global situation out with your control has meant that your years of hard work have have disappeared in the space of a few months. It's going to be very difficult to dust yourself off and go again. And that's what we all have to do. That's what we all have to do. I have struggled with my mental health greatly uh, during the last couple of months. My moods are yo-yoing so up and down, up and down throughout the week. It has scared me at some points. It's worried me at some points. There has been two occasions in the last four months where I felt as if I was slipping back to where I was. Thankfully, as I have spoke about in this podcast before, I am now aware of how my mental health works. I am aware of how my thoughts and my mind affects me. And I am able to control the landing, if you like. I'm able to control the the out motion from those spirals. I can't stop myself getting into that depression again. I can't stop myself thinking certain things or, or feeling a certain way, but I am much better at controlling coming out of it. And one of the biggest factors for me in the last couple of months has been money. It's been finances. 
I have never in my adult life been in a situation where I, one, haven't earned any money, and two, have not earned more than my partner. Now, that is not anything to brag about. That is not, uh, that's not me trying to show off. It's just me being honest. I've always been in a position where I am able to, you know, treat someone, pay for dinner, do something. And I don't want this to sound old-fashioned, but it's the only way I can describe it. To feel as though you're a man. Now, that may seem wrong. There may be people who disagree with that. You don't have to be a man to fucking... I can buy my man stuff as well. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that me, from the way I was brought up, the time I was brought up, whatever it is, the, you know, the husband, the, the boyfriend, the, the partner, the fiancé, whatever, the, the, the man, you buy your missus dinner. You buy her a drink. You, you, you know, that's that's the picture I'm trying to paint. So to now find myself in a in a situation where I am fully reliant on my partner to pay our rent, to pay our bills, has been incredibly difficult for me as a man to, to accept and to process because there have been a number of times where I have felt like a burden. I felt like I am holding her back. I felt like I am affecting her own happiness because she is working away eight, nine, sometimes ten hours a day, knocking her pan in, and then when her monthly salary comes in, it's almost completely gone because I've been unable to earn during lockdown. Now, there's things that I should have done differently. There's things I'm trying to change now. I should have, on day one, started looking for work. I should have done that. I should have put my pride out the window. This idea that I am uh, an artist, a, a comedian, a performer, none of that would change by having another form of income. And that's what I'm coming to terms with. My my thinking's always been, I left a full-time job to become a comedian. And if I was to go back into part-time employment or full-time employment, I am saying that I have failed in my pursuit of doing what I want to do, chasing my dream. And that's bullshit. It's, it's utter nonsense. And I, I know that now, and I'm accepting that now. And there will be men who are listening to this, maybe even women who are listening to this, who who are unsure why their partner's been acting the way he's been acting. And although we are in a world now where we're pushing for gender equality and we're, we're wanting to, to make things equal, and rightly so, there is still that dynamic of the man and the woman in the relationship. The man is the strength, the protector, the provider. That's That's what we naturally fall into. And there'll be a lot of men in the last couple of months who have not been able to earn, who have not been able to provide for their family, and it will rock them to their core. It's a, it's a horrible thing to feel as if you are a burden. And again, it couldn't be any further for the truth. 
but that's how I have felt in the last couple of months. And I suppose all we can say is that maybe, you know, maybe the, the positives to take from these things is that if you have been a, a man or, or, or a woman who has been the, the provider for the family, who has been out the breadwinner, and, and, and you take it upon yourself to be, to adopt that role as provider for the family. Maybe you, you try and take this situation that we're in over the last few months to say, do you know what? It's no fair for you to have that pressure on you. Relax a bit. It's a partnership. You know, it's a family. We give and take. Not everything has to be financial. Not everything has to be measured on money. You know? We've got to just try... We've got to try and... I suppose what I'm trying to say is we need to try and get through this and forget about the outside world. Forget about trying to change the way the world thinks, the way the world looks, and just look at yourself and concentrate on your own happiness. This has been the hardest, what will probably be six months that many of us will ever have gone through or hopefully will ever go through. And I suppose now I'm trying to see the positives in things and to think that if we can survive this, you know, and still be together, still be a couple and still be strong, when we do get back to normal and and we're all learning again and we're all living again and enjoying life again, Maybe we'll be in a far stronger position as a couple, as a family, as as people because of what we've been through. Who knows? Wear your mask. I spoke to a friend this morning um, who runs a couple of pubs, a nightclub, um, different venues. And he is he's, he's wits end, man. He's he's wits end. What I didn't realise um until I spoke to Gary was that the, do you know the 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 government's guidelines for pubs reopening was the they originally weren't gonna allow them to play music in the pub. <laughs> they weren't gonna allow them to play music in the pub. And I just found that incredibly strange. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, mate? Honestly. They originally won. They're going to let us play music in the pub, and and now we can have very very low, very slight background music. This is just becoming like the football, isn't it? <laughs> this is like becoming the football. N- Trust me. Nobody enjoys listening to the football with just the the audio from the pitch, right? Nobody does. You want to hear the f- even the fake crowd noise is better, right? And you'll get people who say, "No, I want to listen to the to the actual audio for the football pitch." You're doing that only so you can hope somebody says swear words. That that's the only reason you're doing it. Nobody's nobody's enjoying silence, right? That's the same way. Why? I mean, there's other reasons why we fucking you shouldn't be going to a Wetherspoons, right? But that's the reason why a Wetherspoons is a fucking weird pub because when you're in there, it's silence. It's just drunks, sad, lonely drunks getting pissed during the day. And then if you go at night, 
It's just groups of bams and fucking wains trying to get served. Right, again, another noise you don't want to hear. The whole reason you want music in a pub, music in a boozer, is to drown out the fucking horrible life that exists around you. That's it. You want, you need that ambient noise so you can channel in to the group you're with and almost buffer out the people around you. Now, I say this like, that can't be right. I mean, mate, I'm telling you, we weren't allowed to play, we, we originally were not allowed to play any music at all. The reason being, and this is fucking golden, and again, adds to the fears that I have for comedy, they weren't going to allow you to play any kind of music because if you play music above a certain level, it encourages people to sing. And if you sing, droplets for your mouth can escape and can fucking infect everybody with COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> because remember, let's not forget, you could have the virus and show no symptoms of the virus and be able to transfer the virus you may have the virus but not have the symptoms and be able to transfer the virus you could have the virus transferred to you show no sign yourself be unable to transfer that virus on but have it transferred back inside you as a super virus and that virus becomes a virus transferable to virus through you from the virus that's transferred from the other person that didn't have the virus but had the symptoms and now transferred it through you because you had the symptoms but didn't show signs of the virus because it was transferred through a person who had the virus that didn't know they had it and then the symptoms were shown and the other person who transferred to you that clear so singing is it again on the statement that uh, that he told me. Uh, loud music encourages people to stand and dance in the name of God. There's a fucking global pandemic, and you're standing and dancing in a pub of no shame, man. Standing and dancing. Who knew? Who knew? The three things that could accelerate this virus, potentially wipe out the Scottish population, is singing in a pub, standing and dancing. People have got no, people have got no respect anymore. So they don't want you playing loud music in case you sing along, you know. Imagine if imagine somebody just loses it. I've got to sing, Franco. I've got to sing. Don't do it. Don't do it, hen. I have to. Sweet Caroline. Ba, ba, ba. You just see the red dot. Get up her chest. <laughs> good times never been so good. So good. So good. Bang! <laughs> Landlord with a crossbow. Right into the chest. Nay no singing in a fucking pub. You trying to get me shut down? <laughs> you just shot my wife, you bastard. And I'll fucking shoot you and all you cunt. Shut your mouth. Drink your pint. Sit down. Don't you dare stand. Holding his dying wife's hand. Maybe I didn't treat you. Quite as good as I should have. Add on the side of the neck. <laughs> now, if you can't sing, 
Right, or the logic being they don't want you playing music because there's a chance you might sing. Okay, and singing spreads droplets because we know when all of us sing, we're all fucking flamey, gobby bastards, right? I know every time I sing, and they practically look as if I've squirted on the floor the amount of saliva that's doing there, right? What are they going to do with laughter? What are they going to do with laughter? If the logic behind not playing music or not allowing a venue to play loud music is because people will sing that is a higher chance of spreading the virus, what hope do we have with laughter? Now, I've been in rooms when people laugh. I have been in rooms where people have lost their shit laughing. I mean, falling about, on the table, holding their chest, back in their seat, losing their mind with laughter. It's a beautiful thing. It's an incredible thing. To be on stage and have a room full of people laughing is an amazing experience, a wonderful feeling. But how are we ever going to get back to the point where we are allowed to do that again if they don't even want you singing in a pub? I don't know. I don't know. I'm 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 genuinely I'm I'm worried. I'm worried. I don't know what's gonna happen when it comes to comedy clubs, when it comes to even nightclubs, if they're not gonna let you play music at a bar, how the fuck are you gonna have raves, you know, nightclubs, DJs? How how are you gonna have live concerts again? How how long are we gonna have to wait? Before we can have a a live concert again, and and the the worrying thing is right again when I was speaking to my mate, obviously he knows a lot of musicians, right? Because they're playing in, in the bars and the in the clubs and whatnot. A lot of people have gone over to Germany to gig because uh, Germany is allowing live entertainment back in in bars and and pubs, nightclubs again, so people are going over there to gig uh, to try and get some kind of income. And it's just normal, just normal gigs, you know, they'll, they'll jump on a, on a plane or they, they'll take a camper van and they go over and live cheap and, and make some money and then come back. I uh, I know I have friends in America who are, who are back gigging again, full clubs, full comedy clubs. Um, I have friends in New Zealand who are back gigging again. But we can't play loud music in a pub. You know, it was interesting. That this this picture was... This, is, this was from the 1st of July. Right, the 1st of July. We are now um, halfway through July, right? We're now at the 15th of July. And this was taken on the 1st of July. Now, you can't see the picture, obviously, because it was on my phone, right? But I remember taking a, a screenshot of this. It was on BBC News. And it is in the Czech Republic in Prague. And um, there's a, a, a part of Prague called the Charles Bridge, which is a which is a large, a large bridge. Um, and the people of uh, Prague had a farewell party to coronavirus 
And it says here, thousands of guests sat at a 500 metre long table on the Charles Bridge in the capital Prague to celebrate and hold a symbolic farewell party for coronavirus. Uh, last week, the government allowed public gatherings of up to 1,000 people. Just think about that. A public gathering of up to 1,000 people. Swimming pools, museums, zoos and castles can open without limits on the number of visitors. Restaurant, bars and pubs have been serving people indoors for a month now. So, this was taken on the 1st of July when they had a farewell party to coronavirus. And a month previous, so from June, restaurants, bars and clubs had been serving people indoors. The World Health Organization has warned that the pandemic was far from over globally. Now, the World Health Organization has advised the Czech Republic government that in their opinion, the pandemic and the virus is far from over. Yet, at the point of this picture, the people of Prague and the Czech Republic government had been allowing restaurants, bars and pubs to operate and for people to be serving indoors. What's happened? Nothing. Most of us would not even have seen the news item. There's certainly been nothing to say that the Czech Republic has fucking lost another 100,000 people. I, I go back to the point where every, everybody is dealing with this differently. Every single government across the world is dealing with this differently and that's when it becomes difficult for us to accept and that's when that's when the spread of misinformation, the conspiracy theories start to grow because we think, what else is going on? We're, we're landlocked. We're an island. Prague, Czech Republic, slap bang in the middle, surrounded by everybody. But yet they're open. They've been open for two months. Thousands of guests sat at a 500 metre long uh, table on the Charles Bridge in the capital Prague. They shared food, drinks, played music and sang. And the picture is an aerial shot. Now 500 metres is what? Five football pitches? It's a fair distance, right? Covers a full bridge and goes halfway down this street that apparently runs through the centre of Prague. And there's people sat either side of the table and a whole load of people walking up and down who were unable to get tickets uh, to sit at the table. And the pictures show people um, laughing, joking. There's people going around with guitars and different things, playing music. Uh, there's people doing poetry next to parts of the table. I mean, you'd be gutted if you're sitting at a shape at the table. You imagine if somebody's up the top doing a comedy gig, playing music, having a great time, and you're stuck down here with some fucker doing a Punch and Judy show. <laughs> Can I move up to the top of the table? You'll fucking sit here, Franco, and you'll listen to this country's poetry. What's different? Also, I mean, I would add in this picture, not a single fucker's wearing a mask. Imagine the droplets. Imagine the droplets. God knows. God knows what's going to happen. I have absolutely no idea. But, yeah, we will plough on regardless. One thing that I did see was, and it came off the back of the advert that I was talking about with the spread of misinformation, right? Now, I don't know who 
again, with all these things that seem to come out currently from the go- the, the government, the UK government, right? Fucking Bojangles. Who are these people they're surveying? Who, who are these fucking people they're surveying? Because I, I don't get it, right? No, it was talking about spread of mis- misinformation, the fear-mongering tactics, not the fear-mongering tactics of the British government or the fucking media, because they are top dog when it comes to fear-mongering. Apparently they surveyed a group of people. Uh, and our survey says, assholes. Now, in this survey they were asking people how comfortable would they be eating in a restaurant and returning to a restaurant right now this is this came out at the time when the english pubs were reopening and they were having discussions around that and again like i said i don't know who these people are now it said 60 percent 60 percent of the survey so over half 60 percent of the survey said they would be uncomfortable eating in a restaurant why 60 percent who are, who are the people who what is the demographic that they're asking it goes on to cover the other one 20 percent said they were they were comfortable eating in a restaurant so only two in ten said they would be comfortable eating in a restaurant and then 20 percent said they were unsure what the fuck this just sums up the British public to an absolute T. It's a very simple question. Would you be comfortable eating in a restaurant? Yes or no? And 20% said they were unsure. Excuse me, sir. Can I, can I ask you very quickly? Um, government uh, survey here. We're just asking, would you be comfortable uh, or uncomfortable eating again in a restaurant? Mm, I'm unsure. Sorry? I'm unsure. What are you unsure about? I'm just unsure. Pick one, you fucking dick. You're either comfortable or you're no. No, I'm unsure. Put me down as unsure. 20% of people said they're unsure. What are you unsure about? All I can think of is that people are watching the BBC News reading the shit they get in the fucking red rags and actually taking that as fact. That's all I can think. Why Why would you be unsure that, that it's safe for you to eat in a restaurant? What, what do you think is going to happen? It feels as if people are still placing different scenarios on different situations. You can walk around supermarkets, nae masks, nae protection, fuck all, for hours, hours, standing in queues, breathing the same air as cunts. But the idea of sitting in a restaurant makes you feel unsafe or unsure. But you're sitting in a pub or a beer garden. 60% of people were unsure. Who the fuck are these people? I tell you what, they better not come to my gig or I'll fucking rip them a new one. Right, one last thing uh, I want to talk about. I never realised we're nearly fucking 54 minutes. Um, You may have seen, in fact, I imagine all of you will have seen the, uh, these campaigns for Save the Arts and Save Live Comedy. It's, um, 
it's it's an interesting thing because um, I have again I'm not surprised that people are showing their colours to be turncoats and fucking absolute bags of human waste. It's the industry I find myself in. For years, I have argued since day one, since the very first time I got on stage and did a solo show. 20th of March 2015 was the date that I did my very first ever solo stand-up show. And from that point, and even before it, but that point I was able to confirm it to others. Comedy is art. What I do is art. It's an art form. Whether you agree or disagree, and if you disagree, you're wrong. Stand-up comedy is the last true art form there is. It's uncensored. It is free, as in it's freeing for the individual, both performing and the audience. And it's it's truthful. If done right, it can be the last real truthful form of expression there is. Now, the other side of that and the disagreement will be that the comedy that most of you will consume and see on the television is heavily censored, heavily controlled, but that is not real comedy. Real comedy is raw. It's funny, it's thought-provoking, it's upsetting at times, it can be jarring, it can be offensive. There's nothing wrong with being offended. Nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with challenging your views, the way you think about things. Nothing wrong with that. And that's a discussion for another day. But I have had various arguments over the years with other comedians. I use that term loosely. As to whether or not comedy is an art form. I have a vivid conversation with uh, another Scottish comic, again I use that term loosely, who went on a huge rant about why Creative Scotland are right to not uh, see comedy as an art form. Now again, Creative Scotland is uh, probably our biggest um, funding source for art in Scotland and Creative Scotland do not recognise comedy as an art form. So if you are looking to put on some kind of show, a tour, whatever it is, and it involves comedy, you will not be eligible funding for funding through Creative Scotland. And this arsehole uh, agreed with him and gave his reasons why. And then I see he's one of the front runners who are pushing the save live comedy and save the arts. I have a I have a problem with it because I think a lot of things that we and I suppose it depends on what you class as art because a lot of the things that we think of as art are looked down upon comedy perfect example not recognised as an art form by various funding authorities looked down upon by other performers and other artistic outlets as being something simple, something easy, something for 
something for the working classes. Another one would be, for example, Panto. Panto has always been the escape or the the gateway to theatre for many normal people. Another art form, another 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 artistic expression that's looked down upon. It's not seen as a real thing. It's not seen as theatre. It's not seen as real performance. You know. It's seen as a. It's seen as a, a payday, for a lot of B listers. You know. Yet yeah, there will be more people. In fact, I found this very interesting. the The whole thing about it was I saw a lot of people who run theatres, run large production companies, banging on about Save the Arts. And these are people who will have received millions, millions upon millions of funding throughout the years, throughout their time that they've been in operation. And how much of that money has been used to create and generate work that is targeted at the very people who are paying the tax in order to generate these funds. I perform every tour show that I can at the Beacon Art Centre in Greenock. I love it. I love the staff. I love the people. I love I love Greenock. And I love the venue. But some of the bookings, some of the productions that were put on there, when it first opened, were so far from the mark of what that population wanted. It was laughable. They used to take, certain people would take great pride in saying that they had West End Productions. It's amazing at this term, West End Production, as if that automatically means something of 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 um, of great worth. West End production. Who gives a fuck? Just because it's a West End production doesn't mean it's brilliant. So they would have these tour shows come up for London. They would have ballet. They'd have opera. And you know what they would perform to? Empty houses. Empty houses. Because nobody gives a fuck. Nobody cares. If you know Greenock, it's a very hard bit of the country. It's a very hard bit of Scotland. Don't um, confuse that word with the people. The people are kind, heartfelt, good sense of humour, great sense of humour, good people. It's just a hard part of the country that has been through a lot and has never been given the investment that it deserves and it needs. If you go to Greenock, it's like fucking ancient Rome when you go to Greenock. The town hall, the citadel, is one of the most beautiful buildings you'll ever see in your life and it is surrounded by a hellscape. The people who are involved in the council at Greenock should be ashamed of themselves. It's like fucking ancient Rome. And if you know a little bit about the history of the town, 
you will know that there has been various smaller theatres dotted across. Theatres which have history. Theatres which have a, a family touch, if you like. And theatres which provide the type of entertainment that the clientele want. They don't want Bali. They don't want West End Productions. They want tribute nights. They want comedy nights. They want live music. They want theatre and plays that they know. Theatre and plays that they can relate to. And that they understand. And I can remember having a conversation with a member of staff who is no longer there. And they said to me, I don't know what it is that people want. And I said, they want tribute nights. And their response was, we'll never have that here. So when I hear things like save the arts, I fully, fully am on board with that statement. But we have to remove this social standing, this turning your nose up at certain things because you don't get to decide what art is. People do. If a group of people tell you that going to watch a Tina Turner tribute act or an Elvis tribute act or a Buddy Holly tribute act is the type of entertainment they want, then that, my friend, is art. Whether you like some West End obscure play or the Scottish Ballet, I couldn't give a fuck. If that is what people want, then that is art. And if we are going to save the arts, then we've got to save everything. We've got to look at this deeply. We've got to think about what has been funded, what has been pushed, what is being presented and what parts of the country is being presented in. Everywhere is different. Everywhere is special. Everyone will have their own idea of what art is. So, again, go back to the point, if we are going to save the arts, which I fully endorse, we need the arts. We need it. Everyone needs that. We need live entertainment. We also need the arts... They make it to television, they make it to Netflix. People who produce sitcoms, stand-up shows, films, movies, playwrights, whatever it is, we need that. We need the test beds. We need the festivals. We need we need small independent theatres that are in obscure parts of the country, small villages that bring out 50 to 100 people. We need those productions. But we need to save everything. And the people who are within the arts industry have to start to think that this is a gift. It's not a right, it's not it's not a it's not a a, a confirmed thing that you will always have this job. It's it's a gift, it's an honour, it's a privilege to work in the arts. It's an absolute privilege. And you have to adopt the mindset of Give people what they want. Or at least offer something they can engage with. 
a point that was made, and I thought it was an absolutely fantastic point that no one is fucking discussing. Everyone that now is talking about Hamilton, right? I've no, I've not seen it yet. I've not watched it. Will I watch it at some point? I will. Yes. But no one's talking about this. Everybody knows what Hamilton is. We're all aware of it. We know it's a record-breaking Broadway play. We all know that. But it has taken a global pandemic for the vast majority of people to have seen it. And they are only able to see it because it's on a streaming service. None of us. And certainly not me. And I imagine most of you listening to this. None of us will have ever been able to go and see Hamilton. Ever. Average price of a ticket to see Hamilton, $200 plus. Think about that for a minute. We're talking here about saving the arts. Making sure that art is accessible and free to everybody. What, only certain art? Because people's argument to that will be, hey, you can go to a museum for free. Yes, I can. But you're telling me that I cannot see Hamon. No, you can. You just need to pay 200 to $250. Well, I don't have that kind of money. Well, that's not my problem. So art's not for everyone then. The only way that most people have seen Hamilton is from an online streaming service. Now, answer me this. Why is every major West End and Broadway play not recorded and broadcast in this way? Why does that not happen? Now, yes, I have seen the National Theatre Live where most of us have seen the adverts for it where they will have um, screenings of famous plays, ballet, uh, Shakespeare, and they'll put it on in the cinema. A lot of people can't access a cinema, don't want to access a cinema. They don't want to have to travel to a cinema, pay the money, Buy the sweeties. You know, it's a night out. Some people want to sit in the comfort of their own home because they can't afford to do those things. So if we are talking about saving the arts, we also have to discuss accessing art, how people engage with it. Because if these... Theatre companies, which are owned by a few people, if these big, massive producers, production companies, West End plays, Scottish ballet, Broadway musicals, if they can travel, make tens, hundreds of millions of pounds in profit, then surely we have to look at where the money that is generated from that art feeds back into the system how you access it how you engage with it opportunity I wonder how many people in some of the theatres that I play in and these are now these, these are you know it's not a, an extensive list but theatres that are run well and staff that I have a good relationship with staff that I get on with and venues that I would hate to see close. Beacon Arts Centre, Greenock. I love it. An amazing theatre. East Kilbride Arts Centre. Beautiful, beautiful space. Beautiful space. 
Eastwood Park and Gifnock, they have an incredible team who run that. And I don't think the council understand just how lucky they are to have uh, that team there. Paisley Art Centre, lovely little room. Uh, Tollbooth in Stirling, one of my favourite rooms to play in the country. Eden Court in Inverness, the One Touch Theatre is an absolutely stunning theatre and a perfect example of what a small theatre should look like. If there's any uh, council who is considering in the future building theatres or upgrading art centres, you, you have to go and look at One Touch Theatre at Eden Court in Inverness. It's a beautiful space. Absolutely beautiful space. Um, the Rep in Dundee. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. There's a, there's a whole load of places that I, I am very fortunate and lucky enough to play and tour and take a show. And I just wonder how many of them through funding. Now, I know that the Rep uh, in Dundee and I know that Eastwood Park in Gifnock all work with amateur dramatic societies and, and a huge part of their diary throughout the year is given to amateur dramatics in order for them to put on productions. Same with the Beacon in Greenock. I know they do a, a vast amount within the community. But how many of these other theatres give back in a way, or at least have an avenue for people to display their work? You, you could be sitting listening to this, you could be a young person, you could be 16, 17, 18, I mean, I hope you're not listening to this if you're 16, but young person. You could, fuck, you could be an old person, you could be listening to this mid-30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. You know? Working a normal job your whole life, you've, but you've always had a desire that you could write a play. Do you even know where you would begin to have that produced? Because I couldn't tell you. Listen, I'm a comedian. I've been a professional comedian for nearly eight years now. If I was to write a play, could I have that put on in a theatre? Yes. But would I know how to do that directly? No. Not even I would know that. I would go to a very good friend of mine who is a playwright and I would say to him, can you help me get that on? And the hope would be that he would do it or he would help me do it. But I don't know the channels myself. So what fucking hope has a normal person got? Save the arts completely. Save live comedy. Yes. Without a shadow of a doubt. But let's accept that art does not stop at a 400-year-old painting or a Broadway musical or some fancy West End London play. Let's accept that art is a broad subject that should all be covered, all be funded and all be catered for. Stand-up comedy is one of the highest proportion of sellers for theatres across the UK. Stand-up comedy is at the top in almost every theatre for proportional seats. So what that means is, if a comedy tour or a comedy show goes on sale versus a play or a musical or anything else, the majority of the time, the comedy tour or the comedy show will sell a higher proportion of seats than any other type, any other genre. But it's still not classed as an art form. So, save the arts, but don't discriminate or turn your nose up at what you think art is. Because 
people will tell you what art is. If you are a theatre or you're a club and you run, for example, you, you're a club, comedy club, right, which, which I know many of them do, and you run a drag night and the drag night sells out every single fucking time it's on and it sells out weeks in advance and you get some snotty fucking comic coming up and they turn their nose up it because they say it's no comedy. Who the fuck are you to decide what is art? You're a theatre. You're a theatre and all throughout the year you put on these obscure plays tackling the big subjects of the day and you're lucky if you sell 10% of the tickets. But then every fucking Christmas, every festive period rolls around and your pantomime that is amateur dramatic produced and cast sells out every single fucking night and you turn your nose up at it. Who are you to decide what art is. Save the arts. Save live comedy. And fund it. Fund it properly. And run it properly. But don't turn your nose up at something that you don't think is art. Uh, for, for as long as I am doing comedy. I will say. Stand up comedy is an art form. And it should be funded as such, and it should be recognised as such. In the name of the wee man, what a ranty one that was. Give me one second to step down from this high horse. My God! Team, hi. As always, we never know how these are going to go, and this one was a trip to Rantsville, population one. Um, You know, sometimes you just need to get your things off your chest, you know? What have we covered today? Music in pubs, laughter spreading droplets, saving the arts, making your own mask, adverts on the radio. Don't feed the beast. Um, as always, thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, then maybe you're as angry and ranty as I am today. Um, thanks for listening please do share the podcast if you can if you enjoy it stick in your social medias remember to subscribe to the show um, podcast is available on every goddamn platform player there is try saying that fast drunk 10 times platform player SoundCloud yes Spotify you know it iTunes aha Stitcher iHeartRadio Acast and now the Battlefield show is also on Google Podcast. So absolutely no excuses for not listening to the show. Find it on your podcast player, hit subscribe, and if you want, give it a wee five-star review. It just helps it move up uh, the charts so more people can see it. Again, if you'd like to support me, support the show, and gain access to all of the extra content, become a Patreon. Head to patreon.com forward slash bigscottgibson. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Big Scott Gibson. Do that, support the show, sign up, enjoy the extra stuff, check out the albums, and also the comedy special Life After Death is available on my website as well for only £5, so go and check that out. Right, stay safe, look after yourselves, wear a mask for the love of God, wash your hands and your arsehole, and I will hopefully see you on a battlefield soon. Onwards. Onwards.